Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Let's join Pastor Wes Stoffenbaugh for an encouraging word titled, Living in Certainty. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with each of you. God bless you in Jesus' name. Let's say a prayer together. Father, we thank you for the wonderful uh, word of God, and we pray you'll make it real, real to us. And uh, that our minds would be in perfect peace, like you said, if we would uh, fasten our minds on you and trust in you, we'd live in perfect peace. We'd live in certainty. We ask you to really wonderfully bless this message, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's the title of the message. It's called Living in Certainty. The Holy Spirit has given me a conviction, uh, like a firm area of thought, and it's this, that God has gone ahead of me to put certainty into all the uncertainties of the future. And so I started writing the word certainty besides uh, scriptures as I would read every morning. I try to get up, go to bed early, and then get up early and spend you know, three hours with the Lord, typically an hour to an hour and a half reading the Bible and the remainder time in prayer. And, uh, but anyway, I started writing certainty, certainty, certainty. And uh, now it seems to me that our world is getting more uncertain all the time. I think you could all say amen to that. But that doesn't bother God and it doesn't need to bother us if we'll expect that God's certainty will supersede all the uncertainties of the present and the future. So we can be certain of God's presence, God's comfort, God's care, God's empowerment, God's grace, God's promises, God's keeping power uh, expressed through the intercession of both Jesus and the intercession of the Holy Spirit on our behalf. Well, that's my introduction. Now, here's my first point. We can be certain of God's presence with us. In the book of Genesis, chapter 31, God told Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and relatives and I will be with you. Now, what awaited him was uncertain. And it was very uncertain what his brother Esau would do, uh, who, you know, years earlier, uh, Esau had vowed to kill Jacob in revenge for taking his birthright and his blessing. So the report came to Jacob that Esau was coming to meet him with an army of 400 men. Now, that's not a good sign when you're having a family reunion, (laughs) when the disgruntled brother brings an army to the reunion. And uh, so Jacob had nothing certain to depend on except that God had said to him, I will be with you. That really, everything else was uncertain. The unseen presence of God was more certain than the visible uncertainty Jacob faced as he saw his brother's army approaching. Well, when they met, they embraced with tears. They had a miracle of family reconciliation because God's certainty superseded all the other stuff. Now, Jesus told his followers, his church, and by extension, he told this to you and me, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, as this present age moves into the final scenes, 
Every natural certainty will not remain a certainty. God has promised to shake everything that can be shaken. And iniquity in the hearts of people who have rejected God's offer of redemption will become fully ripe with wickedness. So justice in the courts isn't certain. Uh, the value of our money isn't certain. Social security isn't certain. The safety and peace of our neighborhoods aren't, isn't certain anymore. Our country remaining free from communism isn't certain. But if our focus is on making disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey Jesus, well, he will always be with us and he will be our certainty. So I'm going to keep on working to make Christ-like disciples. <laughs> and then I say to myself, Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. I will not fear. Now, that's a, a good thing to say. God spoke through Isaiah and said, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. <clears throat> now, notice... The promise there was when you pass through all this uncertain stuff, I will be with you. In other words, I will be your certainty in the midst of the uncertain circumstances. So waters, rivers, fires, flames, that sounds pretty uncertain. It, right now in Oregon, where I live, it's so dry that the leaves of some of the oak trees have turned brown and died. Uh, by the, We were up in Oak Ridge, Oregon, up in the mountains uh, on July 7th. We, we've never seen... Uh, oak trees just turn brown with brittle, crusty leaves. Uh, and, and we've lived in Oregon a long time. My wife grew up here. Now, last uh, year, 2020, uh, the month of August was so smoky from forest fires that we had a, a visibility was about one-fourth of a mile or less for an entire month. And a few towns were burned up completely like Blue River, Oregon. Well, this year... The drought is much worse. And in California, 95% of the state is now in extreme drought with only about one-fourth of normal rainfall. So electricity is not certain in California. It might not be certain here for that matter. Uh, with the shutting down of coal-fired uh, electrical plants around the country and an aging electrical grid, well, you get the idea. There's lots of uncertainty. But the certainty... For God's people is that God will be with us and his presence is our certainty and that will always be enough. Now, my second point is we can be certain of God's comfort. And God spoke through Isaiah, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you fear mere mortals, human beings who are but grass, that you forget the Lord your maker who stretches out the heavens and who lays the foundations of the earth that you live in constant terror every day because of the wrath of the oppressor who is bent on destruction. That's Isaiah 51, 12 through 13. Now see, he, he defines himself. I, even I, am he who comforts you. And Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort. What a definition for God, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, 
so that we can comfort those in any, com- uh, in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves has, have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. <clears throat> in the book of Genesis, uh, it records the story of Abraham's... Uh, you know, Abraham was married to Sarah. Sarah couldn't have children, so she talked Abraham into uh, taking her slave, Hagar, as a concubine, and Hagar got pregnant, bore a son called Ishmael. But uh, I think it was 12, 13 years later, Sarah had Isaac, her own son, and then she demanded that Abraham <clears throat> send the slave woman and her son away Abraham was greatly distressed. He prayed about it, and, and God told him to do it, to send, to send Hagar away. And so he loaded a little lunch on her and one skin of water, like a jug of water, uh, not a jug, but a skin of water, <clears throat> and sent her and the boy off into a trackless wilderness. And so here's what the scripture says. When the water was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. As she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. Now, uh, remember, I, I, I have been getting this uh, a spiritual perception that God for the sake of his people, goes ahead of us into the future and puts certainty into the future. Now, it doesn't get any more uncertain than what Hagar faced. She was sent off with this 13-year-old boy into the wilderness just with a lunch and a skin of water. She didn't have any money. She didn't have any weapons. She didn't have any direction. There wasn't any relatives to go to. She didn't have a house. She didn't have a car. She didn't have electricity. She didn't have a suitcase with extra clothes. But God had promised Abraham and said this to him, I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. And so God had promised to go ahead of Hagar into the future and put all the certainty she would need into all those uncertain situations, and God did it. He comforted her. He comforted the boy. Now, the Apostle Paul uh, and and, uh, Hagar had uh, earlier had given God a name, the God who sees me. And uh, similarly, the Apostle Paul gave God a special name, and he said, the God who comforts the downcast, 2 Corinthians 7, 6. Well, we can be certain that God will go ahead of us and put comfort into our situations. Now, thirdly, we can be certain of God's care. And, uh, you know, I, the book of Isaiah is just a wonderful, wonderful book. So a, a lot of the places where I've marked certainty in the Bible is in the book of Isaiah. But let's look at chapter 40, starting with verse 26. 
Lift up, God is speaking here, lift up your eyes to the sky and see for yourself. Who do you think created the cosmos? He lit every shining star and formed every glowing galaxy and stationed them all where they belong. He has numbered, counted, and given everyone a name. They shine because of God's incredible power and awesome might. Not one of them fails to appear. Why then, O Jacob's tribes, would you ever complain? And my chosen Israel, why would you say, Yahweh isn't paying attention to my situation. He's lost all interest in what happens to me. Don't you know? Haven't you been listening? Yahweh is the one and only everlasting God, the creator of all you can see and imagine. He never gets weary or worn out. His intelligence is unlimited. He's never puzzled over what to do. He empowers the feeble. Aren't you glad of that? And infuses the powerless with increasing strength. Even young people faint and get exhausted, and athletic ones may stumble and fall. But those who wait for Yahweh's grace will experience divine strength. They will rise up on soaring wings and fly like eagles, run their race without growing weary, and walk through life without giving up. Well, I just, I love that verse. Now, uh, we can be certain of God's care. So let's not speak about doubt and unbelief. You see, let's avoid saying things like, God has lost all interest in what happens to me. Uh, no doubt the devil's been saying that to some of you, maybe to all of us, but to some of, us, some of you, he's been repeating it over and over and over. But we must not listen. You see, we don't know how all things will shake out, but we can prioritize spending time with God. And this guarantees that we'll experience both God's care and God's power. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. All right? So things look very uncertain for me. The church world has gotten really strange. I used to travel all over the country. I've spoke, spoken and preached in all 50 states. But, you know, most churches only have one service a week now. And uh, they typically don't want to fly you across the country be to speak because of just one service. And almost none of them will have a, a revival service or a revival seminar anymore. Now, uh, so that affects, of course, the way that I earn my living. So that's all very uncertain, but what I am certain of is that I can wait upon the Lord. <laughs> and so I continue to prioritize going to bed early and getting up early. Uh, so if I go to bed at uh, 8, I can get up at 4 and have 8 hours of sleep. If I go to bed at 9, I can get up at 5. If I go to bed at 9.30, I get up at 5.30. Well, I, I try to make sure that I have at least 3 hours with the Lord. Uh, that's my certainty. I'm, I can't go without that. Now, many of you are just, you might be just sick of life because everything is so uncertain. But there's one thing that you could do right away to change that is just to prioritize time with God. Uh, we can be certain of God's care. Now, let me read another Bible verse. You are my servant. I have chosen you. I have not rejected you. Do not yield to fear, for I am always near. Never turn your gaze from me, for I am your faithful God. I will infuse you with my strength and help you in every situation. 
I will hold you firmly with my victorious right hand. All who rage against you will be ashamed and disgraced. All who contend with you will perish and disappear. You will look for your enemies in vain. Those who war against you will vanish without a trace. I am Yahweh, your mighty God. I grip your right hand and won't let go. I whisper to you, don't be afraid. I am here to help you. That's Isaiah 41, 9 through 13, the Passion Translation. Now, based on these scriptures, this would be a very good confession to make. All right. So here's the confession. I will not yield to fear. I will not turn my gaze from God. He is always near me. He will infuse me with his strength. He will help me in every situation. He holds my hand with his victorious right hand. I'm holding my father's hand. He's not going to let go of me. He's here right now to help me. Now, you might want to write that down <laughs> and, and repeat that. Often, make that your confession. See, because what are you doing? You're confessing certainty. All right. Now, I read a vision years ago by Annie Scheisler. And uh, she saw a vision that uh, words coming out of people's mouths, some of the words were just worthless. The angels didn't care to do anything with them, nor did the demons. But some words formed spiritual vessels. Words were like vessels that demons could fill with destruction or angels could fill with miracles, depending on what the words were. And uh, so certain words then had the power of fear and others had the power of faith. So into those right words, the angels of God poured victory and strength and provision and miracles. Now, you're my friends, right? I hope you view me as a friend, but compare what you've been saying lately about your situation. Uh, What does it sound like? All right. I wonder if it sounds like something that the demons could use if you're confessing, uh, I think God has forgotten me. You know, he doesn't care about me anymore. Well, we certainly don't want to say that. The devil could really, uh, demons could really pour something bad into that. All right. I'm speaking that we can be certain of God's care. Now, let's, uh, let's look at another verse here from Isaiah 46. And God says, listen to me, O Jacob's tribes, all the remnant of Israel. You never had to carry me, but I have carried you from birth. I supported you from the moment you left the womb. Even as you grow old and your hair turns gray, I'll keep carrying you. I am your maker and your caregiver. That's a good caregiver, by the way. I will carry you and be your savior. Isaiah 46, 3 through 4, the Passion Uh, translation. Now, uh, the aging of our bodies certainly presents many uncertainties, but we have God's certain promise that he will carry us even in old age. Now, over and over, see, the point of all of this is that we can focus on everything uncertain and then live all troubled and worried and concerned and frustrated. Or we can look to God and believe that God is our certainty, that he's gone ahead of us into the future, that he's, he's putting the certainty of himself 
into our present. He has in our past. He's going to put it in our future. And what a wonderful thing then to meditate on. The Bible says you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. I believe that's another verse from Isaiah. <laughs> now, my fourth point is we can be certain that God answers prayer. The biggest reason that prayers aren't answered is that they're never prayed. All right, that's the biggest reason. James 4.2 in the King James, ye have not because ye ask not. Now, God will make a way when we pray, even if there is no way. And in Isaiah 41, again, uh, he says, I, Yahweh, will respond to the cry, that's the prayer, the cry of the poor and needy when they're thirsty and their tongues are parched with thirst. When they seek a drink of water, but there is none. In other words, when there's no way, they cry out to God. I, the God of Israel, will not abandon them. <clears throat> I will open up refreshing streams on the barren hills and springing fountains in the valleys, I will make the desert a pleasant pool and the dry land springs of water. I will plant in the treeless desert cedars and acacia, myrtle, and olive trees. I will set the, in the wilderness evergreens together with many elm and cypress. Everyone will see and know that I, Yahweh, with my mighty hands, have done this. That's Isaiah 41, 17 through 20, the Passion Translation. Now, how many of you know that streams do not flow on barren hills? Take a, take a mountain in the desert, like if you flew into Phoenix, and you'd see the dry, uh, rocky uh, upcroppings of uh, mountains around the city. There aren't any streams at all, not even one. And so when God says, I'm going to make streams flow on the barren hills, I'm going to make pools in the desert, pleasant pools. These are telling us that God is going to make a way where there is no way if we cry out to God. Now, seven trees were listed here. And how many of you know that trees take a lot of water? So he says, I'm going to plant trees in the desert. <laughs> well, that means he's going to do a lot of supplying because trees take a lot of water. So I see these trees as ministries. When I read this, faith comes into my heart because you know I have this ministry of books to prisons. Well, that's like a tree. It takes water, it takes money to keep uh, sending books to prisons. Uh, the tract ministry, that's, and, and almost like each different tract that we make is like a tree in the desert. It takes money to make the tract, print the tract, and then uh, we sell them at printing cost. So how is it possible to spend so much time and effort and money on something that doesn't make any money? It's like a tree in the desert. And yet I know that many, many people are going to come to Christ through the tract ministry. Just yesterday I was in a dollar store and uh, there was a young man behind me uh, and I just said something to him, and he, in the course of us just talking a little bit in line, he just confessed that he was wandering around in circles in his life and that he was very depressed and thought very badly about himself. I was able to give him two of my gospel tracts and uh, emphasize to him that my cell phone was on the back of one of them. 
Well, it's just important. to. The, it would be so nice if all of us would carry uh, powerful gospel tracts with us so that anywhere we're in line or we're buying something or we're at a bank or a gas station, we could just say, which is what I do. I just say, I have some of my little sermons here in these nice brochures. They open like a book and then, you know, like a poster. They're not about any certain church, but they're all about how much God loves you. And I get a big blessing out of giving them to people. And uh, almost everybody will take them and most will say, thank you. And then because I frequent the same places, go back to the same gas station, same banks, same grocery stores. After a while, I have to say to the people, have I given you any of my Jesus loves you messages? And I'll have three of them in my hand, three different kinds. And they'll say, well, I read that one there about the rat, but I haven't seen that one. See, I have one called the, uh, uh, the true story of the rescued rat. Well, we have two more now in, in print that we sell at, at printing cost, $10 a hundred for the other two. Those are like a tree in the desert. <clears throat> now, I keep getting more ideas for more tracks. And uh, it seems ridiculous to keep thinking of ideas for something that doesn't make any money. <laughs> but I feel compelled. Now, I want to write a tract. Uh, this idea came to me, and the tract would be entitled, So You're Writing a Book. And it would explain that at the judgment day, books are going to be opened and the dead will be judged out of what's written in the books. And every person's life then, you see, is being recorded. It's their own book. It's their words, their thoughts, their motives, their actions. And it's all being recorded and the dead will be judged out of those, uh, out of those things in the book. So then I want to tell the people, look, if you get up to judgment and your book has not been edited, uh, you know, that's going to be really bad but uh, but God is offering right now before you die. See, your book is closed and finished when you die. Nothing can be added. Nothing can be deleted. But right now it's being written. So while it's being written, it can be edited. And if you'll come to God through Christ, he will forgive all your sins and he will delete out of your book all the bad words, all the bad thoughts, all the bad attitudes. Wow. All the bad actions. So your book might get a lot thinner, <laughs> but it won't have all that bad stuff in it. Now, then the Bible says in Revelations, uh, another book is opened, which is the book of life. And anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. That means there's going to be a physical resurrection. The first death if people die unsaved, they're just their spirit, their soul and spirit would go to hell. But hell is just the county jail. The federal prison is the lake of fire. And at the judgment day, then uh, there are going to be a resurrection of, of all the believers, the first resurrection, where we get physical bodies just like Jesus. But then the other resurrection is when everybody gets a resurrected body, but then uh, the unbelievers would be thrown into the lake of fire in a resurrected body, and they'd be there forever. <clears throat> so there's a great incentive there to have God edit your book. And then I want to explain that sometimes our book is like a ledger, and the Bible tells us that God will credit our account with the righteousness of Christ if we'll believe in him. In other words, God will take out your sin, but he'll put in 
the righteousness of Christ into your account, because part of your book is, is the ledger of righteousness. Well, that's, that's going to be a powerful message. And I also, years ago, I wrote a nine stanza poem called You've Got Your Walls Up, and I realized that that could be put into a tract, one sheet of paper, nine stanzas, I believe, will fit on one sheet of the larger kind of paper. We could have a few illustrations. But that's such a powerful uh, message. I always love verse 7 is my favorite. Now, this is a rap song, and uh, I've gotten many standing ovations over the years. When a bald-headed grandpa does rap, everybody sits up and pays attention. But here's the verse. You see, the Lord's a wall, a wall of blazing fire. You want safety, he'll take you higher. He'll seat you with him in his heavenly place. Security is seeking his holy face. His wall is protection, but it's not a prison locking you in where your anger's a fizzin' like a sulfur of hell, one of your own making. Where you live in fear, your confidence shaken. He walls out the darkness, but he lets in what's light. He keeps out what's bad, but he lets in what's right. His wall has a window into your soul. People can look and you see he's made you whole, so let your walls go. Now, that would be fun to give that out because it's just a beautiful poetry, nine stanzas. I'm My next very next track is one track is one for police and law enforcement, and it's called Call for Backup. And uh, the typesetting is finished. We have the uh, uh, it's only going to have five uh, drawings. Uh, and they are finished in pencil. So we're making a few changes. We're going to put them in color, and then uh, we're going to print about 150 and field test those. But the idea is to match every police officer with a praying believer who will call for backup. Now, Jesus told Peter, put your sword away. Uh, Don't you realize I could call on my father and he'd put at my disposal 12 legions of angels? He could have called 72,000 angels. A legion, Roman legion was 6,000. So Jesus could have called for backup, but he chose to go to the cross. So the, the tract is going to explain that Jesus chose to lay his life down, but now that he's raised from the dead, we can, we can call for angelic backup through the name of Jesus. And then it explains that uh, we would like to pray for the police, that we appreciate them, that we need them, and uh, we recognize that there's a spirit of lawlessness in the end time, which is the antichrist spirit, uh, and that they, we know they need backup, and we'd like to serve them in some way and be their prayer partner so that uh, if they put us on speed dial, they could call us any time of the day of night, and we'd pray for their protection, or if they just wanted to give us a prayer request for their family uh, any time, any old time, uh, we would hold them up by name. Well, I don't know if that'll work. I don't know if Christians will write their name, cell phone, and email uh, at the back of this tract, but but I hope that they will, and then we'll take uh, uh, like 30 or 40 of those tracts down to a police station. A pastor would do that and say, look, uh, my congregation really believes in you guys, and we want to hold you up in prayer. So um, he'd give those to the chief and say, would you give these to your officers? That way they have an option there. If they would like someone to be a personal prayer partner, uh, our people would like to do that. And we have to see if the people will do it and if the police will respond I believe they will because it's so dangerous and so depressing now to be a police officer. And I just feel like that's urgent and the time is right. 
And uh, so what am I saying? Well, I meant to say that all those kind of ideas are like a tree in the desert. And uh, it's very uncertain where the money will come from for any of that or where my living will come from if I spend so much time <clears throat> doing something that doesn't make money. But my point is I'm certain that God answers prayer, <clears throat> especially when it's his will that none perish. Amen. Now, if you think it's his will to uh, pray for the police, that sounds like a good thing. Uh, you know, I'm looking for uh, five people that would give $100 each to finish the art. I need just, that's all I need. And then uh, we can print 150 or so at Office Max and uh, field test those in Philadelphia, where one of the pastors is like a chaplain that rides around with the police, so he would be one that would test it. We have another pastor in Gresham, Oregon, who has a room in his church that police come in 24 hours a day to get soft drinks and coffee and snacks, and they have all different types of police officers, uh, you know, highway patrolmen, city police, so he's very open to having his church uh, do that. And then I, t I intend to do it personally to a local sheriff's office and see what happens. Now, my fifth point is that we can be certain that God loves us deeply. And uh, this is one of the main certainties that the Apostle Paul expressed because he, you know, he lived in just really constant uncertainty and, and stress. Uh, but but the certainty of God's love was like a, a strong tent peg stick, st uh, staking down a tent so that it couldn't be blown away in a strong storm. And so in Romans chapter 8, uh, he, he writes, For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his Son. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us all, he certainly, notice the word certainly, won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. And then he continued, who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards us. Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? No, for they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. Even though it is written all day long, we face death threats for your sake, God. We are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. That was a quote from Psalms 44. And he continues, yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors. And his demonstrated love for it uh, is our glorious victory over everything. And then he keeps continuing. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. <laughs> there is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. That's Romans chapter 8, and again, the Passion Translation. Now, Paul also wrote in Ephesians, and God placed all things under his feet 
and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Ephesians 1, 22 through 23, that's the NIV translation. Now notice the church is called the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What does that mean? Well, years ago, I was uh, buying a, I believe I was buying a birthday card for for my oldest daughter, and I saw a picture of a little girl that looked almost identical to the photo we had of Heather when she was three. And I tell you, a volcano of emotion welled up inside of me. My eyes teared up. I choked up. It was like I filled up. I filled up with love. I overflowed with it. And it was so explosive. It was like a volcano with the lava rising and, and spewing out. And, of course, I feel that way for both my daughters. And when I had that experience, then this verse came to me, and I realized something, that we are God's fullness. What does that mean? It means that we fill his heart with love. When he thinks about you, see... Uh, like the lava rising up on a volcano, well, all this love and compassion rises up in him. Now you say, how could I, little old me, how could I be the fullness of God? How could I be the fullness of him who fills everything in every way? Well, that's how much God loves you. So when God thinks about the whole church, the whole church is his fullness. But listen, when he thinks about just one of us, See, I don't have to think about both of my daughters to fill up with love. I can think about just one of them at a time and fill up to overflowing. And then the same way, your father, when he looks at you, he fills up with love. He fills all the way up. He fills up to overflowing. Now, have you ever gone around thinking, I am the fullness of him who fills everything in every way? When God thinks of me, he fills up. He fills up with overflowing love and compassion. Compassion is love that uses its power to help, see? Now, the sixth thing we can be certain of is the power of a seed. And uh, God put tremendous power in the seeds. So at creation, he says, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds, and it was so. And then after Noah's flood, that cataclysm that uh, uh, destroyed that first earth, God said to Noah, as long as earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. And Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. Mark 4, 26 through 28, NIV. Now, that's what I'm like. I'm like that man that scatters seeds, you see. I'm uh, giving out these tracts that have the Word of God in them, gospel seeds. And night and day, whether I sleep or get up, that seed is sprouting and growing, though I, though I don't know how. But I have confidence and certainty in the power of the seed. I realize that when I'm uh, giving out tracts, I may be a fool for Christ, but... 
The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. You see, I have a certainty that I'm not wasting my time. I have a certainty that seeds are powerful. I notice that all of nature is uh, supporting itself, is uh, surviving because it puts out seed. Any plant that didn't put out seed would go out of business quickly. And uh, all the different kinds of, of uh, plants and the turf wars where grasses war against each other for space and weeds try to invade. Well, they all do it through seed. Now, the church has got to go to seed or we'll be put out of business in America. So, uh, so many Christians don't witness to anybody. They don't share their faith with anybody. Well, then how do you expect to live in a free country where there's freedom of religion? If, if we don't go to seed, other things will take over. And uh, so I have confidence in the power of seed, and I'm going to, by God's grace, make all different kinds of wonderful, illustrated, powerful gospel tracts. And by God's grace, we'll sell them at printing cost, make them very easy for you. And, uh, you know, I just have certainty in the power of seed. All right, so uh, I have a certainty that if I sow a lot of seed, I'm going to raise a great big harvest. And you see, I don't want my life to be in vain. I want it to count for eternity. And I can't just count when I find a service to preach at at a church. Now, how many of you know most of you don't preach in churches? Well, there aren't any lost people in the church service most of the time. So I minister to more people throughout the week when I'm not in a church just by handing out tracts as I go about my day. And I just go about my regular business. The only thing I do is I keep tracts in the car with me. And then when I walk into some place, uh, a restaurant, a bank, a filling station, or you name it, something where I'm just going about my day, I take some of those tracts. And before I leave, I just say, hey, I'd like to give you a little gift here. These are sermons. I tell them, they're, ser they're some of my sermons. Now, if you were passing out my tracks, you could say, we know this, this guy named Wes, and, and uh, this is one of his illustrated sermons. We'd like to give you one. And it's all about how much God loves you. It opens like a book and then like a poster. And it's not about any certain church, but it is about how much God loves you. See, all right, now we should all have confidence in the power of a seed. Here's something that Paul wrote. Here's my point, he said. A stingy sower will reap a meager harvest, but the one who sows from a generous spirit will reap an abundant harvest. Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving, all because God loves hilarious generosity. Yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of everything, every moment, in every way. He will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do, just as the scriptures say about the one who trusts in him, because he has shown extravagant, sown extravagantly and given to the poor, his kindness and generous deeds will never be forgotten. This generous God who supplies abundant seed for the farmer, which becomes bread for our meals, is even more extravagant towards you. 
First he supplies every need, plus more. Then he multiplies the seed as you sow it, so that the harvest of your generosity will grow. You will be abundantly rich in every way as you give generously on every occasion. For when we take your gifts to those in need, it causes many to give thanks to God. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, and then verse 6 through 11, the Passion Translation. Now notice how Paul was living with the certainty that you cannot outgive God. He was raising money for poor believers back in Judea that were going through a great famine, and the Gentile believers were generously helping them. But this is more, more than just about uh, being generous with money. Uh, we want to plant generously gospel seeds. All right, and just as we will reap if we give financially, we will reap if we give out other things, like a gospel message, for instance. Now, in uh, chapter 9, verse 10, I'm quoting from a footnote in the Passion Translation. It says, Paul uses the word, uh, the, the Greek word, uh, epikorigoio, or something like that. And uh, it was used in Greek literature for someone who pays all the expenses for the drama or the choir production, plus more, providing income for those who take part. Now, notice he's saying that that word that Paul used was for someone who pays all the expenses to bring about the drama or the choir production, plus providing an income for those who take part. God is seen as the leader of the divine choir, orchestrating everything and providing for all that is needed to bring forth the sounds of his glory on the earth. The last time I ministered in Vermont, a group of prophetic people prayed over me, and several gave me prophetic words. One of them was a young lady, and she knelt before me, and she said, uh, I was sitting in a chair, and she knelt down in front of me, and she says, God is going to be your patron. And she said, uh, a patron is someone who travels with an artist and pays all their expenses and, uh, and uh, helps them with the cost of their art, but also provides their income, living expenses. And then she said, God is going to be your patron. Well, that's been a most precious, precious word to me. And, uh, and I have seen that prove true. But then here is the scripture in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10, where Paul uses the very word. It's the very Greek word for patron. I thought that was tremendously interesting. Now, uh, Paul wrote, This generous God who supplies abundant seed for the farmer, which becomes bread for our meals, is even more extravagant towards you. So I believe that God is has been supplying and will continue to supply seed to sow. That is money to make tracks and books and videos. Now, as I liberally plant this seed uh, and speaking at every opportunity, doing podcasts, monthly sermons, whatever I can do, I'm certain that the seeds of God's word will produce a harvest of righteousness and, uh, and my own financial needs will somehow be met. See, I, I'm, I have to tell you that my life is very uncertain, but I live in the certainty of the things I'm preaching about here, and the certainty of the power of a seed is a great certainty. All right? So, uh, 
I give away stuff to churches all the time. If they order, if anybody teaches one of my courses, I give them the teacher's guide. It costs thousands of dollars to make it, and I give them a sample student workbook. Now, how can I give away so much stuff? See, we we call churches and we send pastors ebooks that on Amazon it would cost nine ninety nine to get an ebook of Good and Faithful Servant, the book on spiritual leadership. We give that away. We give away the ebook of uh, Twenty One Ways to Forgive, and we just call churches, get their emails of the pastors, and send those. Now, if I didn't have confidence in the power of a seed, I'd just figure I was going to go out of business, or that I was stupid. <laughs> but I have certainty in the power of seed. You know, and Jesus said, Give and it'll be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will men pour into your bosom. So it's just a, it's a principle. Be a giver. All kinds of different ways to give. We can give a listening ear. We can give loving prayer. We can give hugs. We can give all kinds of things. But God's going to always bless generosity. What if the inflation rate uh, skyrockets? It supposedly it went up 7% last month. And we're in the highest inflation rate of any time in, the, in over a decade. And the government looks like it's going to just do ridiculous. See, the, the people that are in charge of, the, of uh, voting in our national government are basically political pirates that just want to get money for, their, uh, for themselves and the, the people that work with them and put it on the credit card of the nation and get as much as they can as fast as they can. And uh, so basically they're like pirates. They're stealing and robbing. So that provides us with a lot of uncertainty. But here's the certainty. Even no matter what happens, God will always bless generosity. Now, I want to go back and tell you a story about the days I ran a big bus ministry in the 1970s. And bus kids, you know, they would come and give their hearts to Jesus, but they don't pay the bills. That looked like a stupid ministry to have 1,200 kids that we visited every week and brought in over 500 per Sunday for the last three years I was there. And we had 13 church-owned vehicles, two vans, 11 buses. All that cost a lot of money. It looked ridiculous to do that. But here's an example. One man got saved, and he brought the pastor thousands of dollars of shiny new tools to repair buses, you know, big automotive tools of all kinds. And he said he'd stolen them from the army. Now that he was getting saved, he was repenting. So the pastor didn't know what to do. So he called the FBI. He said, what should I do? This man got saved here and he brought all this stolen stuff that he stole from the government. They said, is he, uh, is he living straight now? The pastor said, yeah, he's, he's repented. He's lived. They, they said, well, just keep the tools. Uh, use them for your bus ministry. Uh, uh, it cost more for the government to re-inventory them than they're worth. <laughs> Now, isn't that an interesting way that God provided thousands of tools, thousands of dollars of tools for our volunteer mechanics? My seventh point, we can be certain of God, that God's grace will be sufficient for us. Now, Paul lived with this certainty, see? Now, here's the deal. Uh, miracles are made out of two things, a problem and the grace of God. The grace of God is defined as the activated power of God. It's not just a license to sin like some people think it is. It's, it's always related to power. All right, so uh, uh, Don Cox used to say it's hard to be prideful 
when you're under the water gurgling. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Uh, well, Paul said that, uh, uh, you know, he had so many revelations that God gave him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment him. And uh, he said, I prayed three times that God would take it away. Now, this wasn't a physical uh, condition, a sickness. It was a messenger of Satan. And that uh, demonic spirit would go ahead of Paul and uh, be in wherever Paul went. And he would stir up riots or imprisonments or shipwrecks or uh, like for one instance, the captain and the owner of the ship and the Roman officer, they would not listen to good advice that they didn't dare set sail. And I suppose it was that spirit operating on those unsaved men, so trying to kill Paul, and they resulted in a huge shipwreck. But see, God wasn't going to make it certain, wasn't going to make the situation certain for Paul. Paul. Paul was praying, God, can't you make my situation more certain? I'm tired of living in this constant uncertainty. I never know when it's going to be a riot, imprisonment, a beating, a shipwreck. It's just all so uncertain. And God's saying, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, what was God saying? He's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mix grace into your problems and make constant flow of miracles for you, and I'll be your certainty. You see, you're wanting a certain situation that you can depend on, but I don't want you to depend on the certain situations. I want you to depend on me because when my power's made perfect in your weakness. So when you depend on me to be your certainty, then I'll mix grace into every situation and, uh, and then that's what God did. So as you read the book of Acts and you see Paul locked in prison in stocks and beaten, and then they sing, him and Silas sing and praise God, and the earthquake comes and unlocks all the locks and the doors, and the jailer gets saved. You see, that's God mixing grace into an uncertain situation because they didn't know if they were being held to be executed. <clears throat> Paul you know, shipwrecked, and the, and he picks up the load of brush, and a snake jumps out and bites him, and it's a poisonous deadness. Dead, that's an answer. He didn't know that that snake bite was coming. All he knew is that God had promised to mix grace in every situation, so he just shook it off into the fire. And how did that work for his good? Well, the natives began to think he was a god they, when he didn't swell up and die, so the word about who he was went all over the island of Malta. When the, then they were staying with the chief, and the chief, father of the chief comes down with what the King James calls bloody flux, or that's dysentery. It's highly contagious and very deadly. And uh, Paul just prayed for him, and he got healed. Then they brought all the sick to Paul. Paul prayed for them all. They all Jesus healed them all through the Apostle Paul. Now, notice, in, in, you're getting the point, right? Paul lived in constant uncertainty. And God wasn't concerned about it. He just saying, look, I'll be your certainty. I promise you that I'm going to mix grace into every one of your situations. So you don't need to worry about what's coming next. It could just be crazy, wild, off the charts. I'll mix grace with it. I'll make it into a miracle. Now lift your hands right now if, you, if you're not driving. <laughs> and uh, praise God that his grace is sufficient for you. It doesn't mean God's just going to give you grace to cover your head with a garbage can, let the devil beat on you with a club. No, it means you're going to have a constant flow of miracles. Praise the name of Jesus. And so uh, 
let's get to the last point here. My last point is that we can be certain that God will keep us. Now, God has made our salvation as secure as he can. You know that when someone puts an offer on a house, they put down an earnest money, they sign an earnest money agreement, and they give the uh, give a check. And it has to be a big check to show that they're sincere, that they won't back out of the deal. Because if they did back out, they'd lose their earnest money. So when God purchased you, he put down what the Bible calls a deposit. Guess how big it was? See, it, it, Paul wrote, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. God put his own spirit down as the earnest money. Again, Paul wrote, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. God cannot back out of the deal of your salvation. The earnest deposit's too big. He can't lose his own spirit. All right? Now, that gives us tremendous security. However, uh, some people have this belief in uh, unconditional eternal security that if you pray the little prayer, Jesus, forgive me, come into my heart, then no matter what sin you live in, no matter how stupid you get and uh, uh, rebellious or unbelieving, uh, you can't lose your salvation. Well, that's not true. Now, God's not going to back out of the deal, but you could. See, that's the balance. God puts down his spirit as a deposit. Now, if someone puts down a big earnest money deposit, they don't want to back out of the deal because they don't want to lose their deposit. But the, the seller could back out. Even of a signed thing, he could say, no, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to sell this house to you. You can have your check back. Well, then the, then the buyer would say, well, I'm going to take you to court. We got a signed agreement here. And so you can back out of your salvation if you want to. You can go into rebellion. You can go into idolatry. You can say, I don't want to serve God. I don't want to please God. I want to go to heaven. I want to be covered by grace, but I don't want to obey him. Well, that's called rebellion. And God isn't, God isn't going to put up with that. Remember, Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy, preach, cast out demons, heal people in your name? And he'll say, I never knew you. In other words, I never foreknew you. I never looked ahead and saw that you would stick with me. Yeah, you can back out of the deal. That's why we want to continue to fear God. Our salvation is very secure from his standpoint. All you got to do is hang on, keep your faith in Christ, and ask God to keep you, see? Now, that's what I do. I say, well, I don't, I, I don't ever want to back out of the deal. But in case, you know, things got really tough, uh, Lord, I want you to always keep me. Now, Paul wrote that both the Holy Spirit and Jesus are continually praying for us. In Hebrews, uh, it's uh, chapter... Uh, 725, it says that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. I want to quote a verse quickly out of Hebrews 10. Uh, God says, my righteous ones will live by faith, but if fear holds them back, my soul is not content with them. But we are certainly not those who are held back by fear and perish, but we are among those who have faith and experience true life. 
For if, for if we continue to persist in deliberate sin after we have known and received the truth, deliberate sin would be rebellion. There is not another sacrifice for sin to be made for us, but this would qualify one for the certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the raging fire ready to burn up his enemies. Anyone who disobeyed Moses' law died without mercy on the simple evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you suppose a person deserves to be judged who has contempt for God's Son and who scorns the blood of the new covenant that made him holy and who mocks the Spirit of grace? You see, there's some people that keep talking about grace, grace, grace. They're like, hey, we got it made. We got the grace of God. We can go out and drink, get drunk, party, take drugs, have sex with whoever we want to. Thank God for grace. Well, that's mocking the Spirit of grace. And they're not going to get away with it. Now, see, I want you to have confidence in your salvation that God put down such a deposit. He cannot back out. And then all you got to say is, well, I, I don't want to back out either. I want to abide in him and he in me. I want his words to abide in me as well. And so the Bible says, uh, so he is able to save from now throughout eternity Everyone who comes to God through him because he lives to pray continually for them. Hebrews 7.25. All right, Paul also wrote in Romans 8, but the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desires of the, Holy, of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones, in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. Romans 8, 26 through 27, the Passion Translation. All right, isn't that wonderful? God can't back out of the deal. Two-thirds of the Trinity, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are interceding for us. And then what you want to do is say, God, oh God, keep me. I want to be kept. And then we live in the certainty of our salvation. And so the Apostle Jude wrote, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Well, here's a little blessing to give you as we close. Now, may God give you an inner sense and a mindset of spiritual certainty through every uncertain earthly situation. As the scriptures say, you will be kept in perfect peace, those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. I love you, dear friend. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com or you can write P.O. Box 485 Cresswell, Oregon 97426.